Every book tells two stories. The first is the tale inside the page. The second is a story about its reader. Each book that we choose to keep on our shelves tells a chapter in the story of our lives. So join me, Alex Cool, as I speak to authors, illustrators, publishers and booksellers about their shelf life. My guest this week is Claire McIntosh, the award-winning crime writer. Claire's first three books were all chosen as Richard and Judy book club choices, and her latest novel, After the End, has just been published in paperbacks. It follows two parents struggling to make an impossible, heartbreaking decision regarding their child's health. Claire, thank you for joining me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. How big a reader are you? Oh, huge. Um, I mean, we're in lockdown. I'm eating a lot of biscuits. So right now I'm a really, really big reader. Um, yeah, I read, I read a lot of books, um, maybe a hundred a year, something like that. Um, I know there are lots of people that read an awful lot more than that, uh, but that's where I am at the moment. And I read across pretty much every genre apart from science fiction and fantasy although occasionally there's something a, a bit of urban fantasy that might creep in there and i've asked you to pick seven books that have uh, changed your life in some way how did you go about picking them well i found this really really hard and i i think if you'd have asked me this in person like if you'd been standing in my office next to my shelves and said right show me the books that have changed your life i would have argued a bit with you about what that really means um we would have had a big discussion about semantics um the books that i've chosen I, i've chosen to interpret that not so much as they have you know set me off on a completely different path um they haven't changed my life in that respect but they have influenced me and they've been significant for a particular reason. So that's what I did. And I gave them to you pretty much in order of, of how they've influenced me. So that was my, my starting point. Um, and, uh, and I started with, um, with Riders by Jilly Cooper. <laughs> So tell us then about Riders. Why did you choose that one? Yeah, it's maybe an unusual choice for a book that's changed someone's life. But do you know what? So I'm going to I'm going to cheat slightly and say it's the whole of of that series. You know, Riders and Rivals and and all the rest. Um, they are such page turners, and I remember the summer that I discovered them, and read every single one that, that was out then. There, there was a, a couple, two or three, I think, that came out after that. But um, the ones that had been published, I read in one hit. And I was so completely immersed in that world. And I honestly think that at that time, and I would have been somewhere in my mid-teens, I don't think I'd read anything that created a world so successfully and when we talk about creating worlds quite often people have in their minds a science fiction or, or, or fantasy this this kind of you know hairy toed hobbit type of, of world 
And actually worlds are in every single book and, and some authors create them better than others. And Jilly Cooper's Rider's World is so phenomenally depicted that I could walk around it. You know, I, I know every single character, I know every single house, I know the layout, I know what artwork is on the walls. And it, it just, um, it, they, they really blew me away. And so I would say that they changed my life because they really ignited my passion for reading that was already there, but uh, they, they just sort of, um, oh, they, they blew me away, they were brilliant. And would you say, do you think that you would ever try to uh, attempt a, a series like that yourself with a sort of a world built around it and all of the characters intersecting? Yes, I'd love to do that. I, um, I've, I've always loved those books that have a cast list in the front of them, you know, so and so is is his grandson and married to to whoever uh, i i just think they're brilliant and um and i love big books like that where you have to keep referring back to find out who people people are there's something rather soap opery about them and yeah one day i think i, I think i would like to do that with uh, obviously jilly hers her world is very very obviously connected but there are other authors who um, just set their books almost in the same universe. So I'm thinking of, say, like John Boyne, where um, the writer in Hearts Invisible Furies is just briefly mentioned as being the writer of a book uh, in, in his subsequent book. Do you see your stories, the ones that you've already written, being part of the same universe, or are they, in your mind, just completely unconnected? Completely unconnected. In fact, every now and again, I wish I could bring a character in. So for example, I'm writing a book at the moment, I'm writing a thriller that's um, a kind of a locked room thriller set on a, a non-stop flight from London to Sydney. Um, it's kind of like Orient Express in the air. And uh, so obviously I've got cabin crew on this, this flight. Now I've not long written a book um, after the end where one of the characters is a flight attendant and the temptation to slip her into this as well is so great because I love that kind of crossover. But the reality is that I write standalone psychological thrillers for, for a very good reason, which is I like to write about extraordinary things happening to ordinary people. Now, the chances of two extraordinary things happening to that same ordinary person are actually quite slim and it starts to become really unbelievable. And the last thing I'd want to do to poor Pip, who has been through a, the most traumatic situation in After the End, is to put her in a dangerous situation on an aeroplane. <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm keeping them quite separate, different worlds. I think that's fair on Pip. Uh, <laughs> she definitely doesn't need to go through anymore. <laughs> um, what's your second choice? My second choice is uh, every writer's favourite book, um, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Why did I, why did that change my life? Um, it's, it's like the benchmark for every book that I read, every book that I write. It, it's, um, it, it's not perfect, but it's pretty near perfect. And so quite often as a writer now, 
I will refer back to Rebe Rebecca and think about the characterization and the unreliable narration. And again, the setting, I think I'm, I'm really drawn to books that can pull me into that world. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one to, to absolutely know what it feels like to walk up that driveway to Mandalay. Um, and I read that book when I was doing my A-levels and I was really struggling um, at, at school with <clears throat> just the, the pressure. I put a huge amount of pressure on, on myself. I've always been very driven, very um, sort of competitive, I suppose, with, with myself. And so I studied really hard, far too hard, far more than I needed to, um, and didn't really do anything else for those two years. And I read Rebecca and it was one of the very few books that I let myself read for pleasure during that time. And I remember it really distinctly um, and the joy that I felt for just reading a book for a book's sake. Um, so I now have three, I'm looking at my bookshelf now, I've got four copies uh, with completely you know, different editions, um, including the stunning um, anniversary edition that came out a couple of years ago with a, it's got the most beautiful jacket that looks like tapestry. Um, so yeah, really, really special book for me. Of those uh, four editions, which one is it that you would go back and, and read if you wanted to? I would read the tatty copy that I read when I was 17. <laughs> the others are just for show. And actually one of them was an emergency copy that I don't like the cover of at all, but I bought it at an airport because I suddenly needed to read Rebecca and that's so ridiculous. So I knew I had three copies at home uh, and I bet I'm not the only person to buy an emergency copy of Rebecca, but I bought it on an airport, uh, at an airport when I was heading off somewhere on, on a work trip um, and uh, yeah, read it in my hotel wherever I was. I like the idea of that, a, a copy of Rebecca inside a, a little glass box on the wall that just says great Alfred Hitchcock made a uh, film adaptation. Uh, how did you watch it and how do you think it compares? Gosh, do you know what? I, I have watched it a couple of times, but it hasn't made a huge impression. I, I, you know, I don't think I disliked it, um, but it, it hasn't made enough of an impression on me to, to be able to, to answer that. I'd quite like to, to watch that again, but they're making a new one, aren't they? Which everyone's terrified of um because obviously everyone's got their their really strong idea of of what mrs danvers looks like and so that'll be interesting that no doubt be a, a great big twitter rant about it afterwards do you find generally um that movies versus books do you have a side do you have a, a side in that argument or do you just take each one as it comes Oh, books, always books. It's, oh, the book's always better, isn't it? The, the only exception, uh, I was talking to someone about this recently, the only exception to my mind is the, um, are the Bridget Jones films, which are infinitely better than the books, I think. Um, I, I really struggled with the books. I, I don't like diary format as a, uh, as a device in a, a novel. I don't mind diary extracts, and I think they can add quite a lot to the narrative, but a whole book written in diary entries, I find really stilted, very re repetitive, very difficult to, to get into. 
And so I hated the books, but I loved the films and, and found them very funny. So that's probably the, the only exception I've got to that, but otherwise books every time. And are any of your books at the moment uh, being developed or is there potential for any of them to become a film? Well, there's always potential, isn't there? Um, it's, uh, I, I think I've sold the options for three, for two of mine. Um, and in talks for a third, one of them's in development. So I Let You Go is in development and has been for years. Um, and it's the most frustrating project of anything I've ever worked on. I love the team I'm working with. So I'm, I'm really involved. I'm, I'm um, an exec producer and I'm also the screenwriter. So I'm really involved, which is amazing because I hadn't wanted to be involved, hadn't asked to be involved, and, and it's just sort of um, evolved over the years. Uh, love my producer, love our director, um, but the process of just getting something made, you know, there's so many hurdles, and lately, obviously, COVID-19 has really um, put the kibosh on things, but we're getting there, you know, slowly, so fingers crossed. How have you found the difference between screenwriting, uh, you know, a, a screenplay and a, a versus writing a book? Love it. Really like screenwriting. I was really worried about it, which is why I didn't put myself forward to write the screenplay for I Let You Go. And then I went to, I went to quite a few meetings early on and um, had some ideas and contributed and my producer, said you know tell me again why don't you want to write the screenplay <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> and uh, and I said well, I don't know what I'm doing I don't know how to write a screenplay and he said well the worst that can happen is you'll write a terrible screenplay and we'll throw it away and we'll have to pay you anyway and we'll get another writer in and you'll be a bit embarrassed but actually it happens all the time and in in the meantime you'll have discovered whether you like writing screenplays and it, it was such um, an obvious offer to accept. It was such a good opportunity to learn. So I said, fine, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'm prepared to make a, a complete hash of it. Um, and actually it's been a joy. Uh, they've taught me so much. I really enjoy it. Um, I've always loved dialogue anyway. It's the bit of a novel that I enjoy writing the most. And it's made me um, a much better writer. It's made me much, much leaner in my novel writing now. So I come into scenes much later and I leave them much earlier. And when I look back at my first novel, you know, I'm really proud of I Let You Go for lots and lots of reasons, predominantly the twist. Um, but the actual writing of it, God, I, I could put red pen all over it now. Um, I've I've learned an awful lot over the last five years, and and a lot of that has come from from two years, more than two years now of working on screenplay. That was a great twist. Uh, we won't talk about it in case anyone hasn't read it, but it was just the the best twist at just the right moment. I always thought. Um, what is your next choice? Well, can I wrap my next two my next two choices up together? Please. Of course. Yes. Because they came at the same moment in my life. So in 2006, um, my, my son died. And I'm, 
I'm not very I'm not very good at dealing with um, with with grief. I was a police officer for a, a long time, and I think when you're a police officer, you learn to compartmentalize. Um, your emotions because you kind of have to you know if you go to a, a really horrific car crash or um, a, an assault you need to be able to separate what's happened and and come home without that emotional baggage and what that does or certainly what that did for me is it made me naturally compartmentalize in in my whole life and so when this awful thing happened I just didn't really I didn't deal with it. I just shut it away and, and carried on, you know, trying to function. Um, and books were really what, what sort of saved me during that, that time. Um, you know, reading books that forced me to feel things and forced me to, to think. Um, so I didn't want to read nonfiction. I, I wouldn't have picked up a book called you know coping with the death of a child um but i could read an, a novel uh, lots of novels and so uh, my next so choice number three is is lovely bones by um alice siebold and i i i don't know if i could read it now it's so tightly bound up in that period of my life that it's almost become part of my story if that makes sense and I don't I've got a copy on on the shelf in front of me but I don't think I could read it or well, I recommend it to a lot of people particularly people who have um, have lost someone it's so powerful and so beautiful um, and I read it so I'm a person that doesn't doesn't have a, a, a faith a, a religion um, but it's a very spiritual book and I found that a huge comfort. So that, that's my next choice. And bound up with that is um, Mitch Albom's the, the Five People You Meet in Heaven, which um, was sent to me by a friend, um, who a very dear friend who knew that I was, was obviously struggling with the aftermath of this. And again, it was it was just a very comforting very thought-provoking book um in 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 the way that um you know watching it's a wonderful life is this 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 idea that however small a life you've had you've touched all these different people and and without you their lives would be very different so those two books are phenomenally important to me um at a really difficult period in my life. I'm glad you actually put them together as, as one choice because they are in many ways quite similar um, in the way that they deal with afterlife and or the potential of an afterlife. Um, and you say you didn't have a faith, is that still true? These books didn't um, ignite that in you at all? No, no, and I think actually what I love about those books is that they don't I, I think they can be read by people who believe in heaven or don't believe who have a faith or, or don't have a faith that actually is irrelevant but there is this sort of powerful spirituality about them that I think anyone could respond to regardless of what their approach to 
organized religion is. And you mentioned um, the, the sad death of your son, but obviously that has uh, led to you writing after the end. Um, how long had you had the, the idea for after the end in your mind after his death? And did you, how long did it take you to write that? And did it help you uh, cope with the grief? So I had the idea for the book r really soon after. Um, and uh, I, I couldn't tell you sort of how, how many weeks afterwards, but, but very much in the aftermath of it. Um, and it stemmed from uh, a, a question that, that I'd asked the doctor. So, so we had been presented with this impossible decision to, to either continue to fight for treatment for our son or, or to remove him from intensive care and, and let him die. And I had asked the consultant, what happens if we don't agree? Because like most couples, my husband and I disagreed on all sorts of things, you know, all the time and they never mattered. But here was something that mattered more than anything else and about which there was no compromise at all. And she said, you, you have to agree because the alternative is unthinkable. And so After the End is a book about the unthinkable and it's, and it's not my story at all. Um, my husband and I did agree. Um, it's the story about a couple who, who don't. And I, and I wanted to write it um, for, for years and years and years, uh, long before I was a writer. And so it was this kind of nebulous idea that, that um, I, I, I didn't really know what it would look like or or whether I would do it at all um, and then when I met my editor in 2013 so we saw my my sort of prospective editor she she hadn't acquired me at that point had a meeting to talk about I let you go and she said uh, have you written anything else are you writing anything else and I said well uh, there's this book idea you know at the back of my head and I told her about my son and I told her about this this story and and particularly about the shape of of the novel because it has a very distinctive narrative structure um and uh and it wasn't a crime novel and so it wasn't going to be part of that deal and so it was really just a um almost chit chat I suppose small talk and then years later 2017 we were talking about what my fourth novel would be, having had three fortunately very successful thrillers. Um, and she said, you know, I can't get out of my head the story that you told me when we first met. I think you should write that. And so I did. And, and it was amazing to be given that permission to write the story that I have always wanted to write, the story that I wanted to be my first novel. But I couldn't have written it actually then, um, partly because I think it just would have been too emotional to, to have tried to write about it in the immediate aftermath of his death. But also I, I didn't have the skills as a writer. I, I don't think I could have written it in 2012 when I wrote I Let You Go. I, I think I've needed those novels and the um, insight that my editors have given me to enable me to handle such a, a, a big subject and such a, a powerful topic. Um, 
but the other reason is that I needed the the distance of those years because the book the book's called After the End. It, it's really about what happens after trauma and a crisis. It's about getting used to a new normal, and to write about that meant meant living it. it it's only now I'm 13 years on from what happened to us that's a lot of life and a lot of great things have happened and you know i've learned to be happy and to to love and live and do all the things that um we all should be doing in our life um and i've been able to reflect that in in the writing so it, it i think it's a book that i couldn't have written sooner even if i'd tried um and it was tremendously therapeutic uh because again in order to write authentically about what pip and max were going through i needed to draw on my own experience and to draw on my own experience meant opening up that compartment that i'd locked away and confronting some of those feelings some of the guilt some of the the loss some of the what ifs um so that i could write about them and that was you know incredibly painful but really important and um, made me feel an awful lot better at the end. What's your next choice? My next choice is Little Face by Sophie Hanna. Um, and I've again cheated slightly and put in brackets, actually the whole Culver Valley, Valley series. So this is, this is what I mean by, by choosing books that are significant for particular reasons you know that there's a really specific reason why little face is in there and it's because i wanted to write a novel um i was trying to write a novel i'd actually written a, a romantic comedy um called hot property uh, but but i hadn't um hadn't written a, a crime novel and yet that's sort of what i was gearing up to but i liked books that dealt with um, human emotion and um, the, the sort of peril, you know, they, they used to, years ago, they used to call it the, the woman in peril, which, or the woman in jeopardy, which is so brilliantly old fashioned. But, but I love that concept of, of being, you know, first person, being inside someone's head. But I also wanted to write the, the investigation element of, of I Let You Go. And, and, and I was really wrestling with it. And then I read little face and read more of um sophie's series and it was the first time i'd encountered that um combination of uh police procedural and woman in peril i'm using big uh quotes marks in the air because um that's such a ridiculous term but that combination of of, of victim essentially um and and police investigation and I really loved it. And it was like a kind of um, a light. It was a proper light bulb moment of, oh, I can just put both of them together. I don't have to write, you know, that book or that book. I can write the whole thing as, as one. Um, and so I, I always sort of credit Sophie Hanna really with, with kickstarting that, that bit because my three th thrillers all follow that, that structure that combination of investigation with an investigator, uh, be it a 
detective, a retired detective, um, and, uh, and a, a first-person female victim. Sophie uh, has been quite prolific um, in her career and, and, and quite varied. And one of the things that uh, people might know her for is continuing some of Agatha Christie's series. Is that something that you could ever see yourself doing, like picking a, a series or a, a novel from the past and doing a sequel to it? I have so much admiration for Sophie because, my God, what a what a what shoes to try and fill i just, i genuinely don't know where i would start um would i do it i i don't know I, it's one of those questions that i think is really hard to answer because if if the project was right you know if it if it really made me feel passionate about it if uh, if the money was was great and I needed the money, if, you know, there are so many ifs, aren't there? Um, if it was a book that I loved as a child and now I had an opportunity to revisit those characters, um, I, I don't know. I think I would be more likely to do something like take a book. Um, so here's an example. Um, my absolute favorite book as a child and I, I contemplated having adding this to my list uh, and I didn't for, for a couple of reasons was uh, Just William so the Just William series Richmond Crompton um, absolutely adored them I've got the whole set um, I've got a couple of um, first and second editions I, I love them um, they're not on this list because um, they just they didn't change me in particular they were just great books that I loved so um, I'd love to know what um, what Just William was like as an adult um, and I don't know if that's been done this is literally only just occurred to me so you, you could well now to tell me that there's a whole series out there with Just William as an adult and his kids and um, and if there is I'd love to read it but that I think would be fantastic to, to create a future for a cast that someone else created. I, I would love to do that. I'm not sure I would just say sit down and write another Just William with William the same age he is there. That's a really uh, interesting idea. We'll have to we'll have to Google it afterwards and see if, uh, see if And if it's not there, I'm pitching it. <laughs> <laughs> um, will Hot Property ever see the light of day? Tell us more about that one. <laughs> no, it won't. So, oh, Hot Property was, um, the second, it was actually the second novel that I wrote. I started a novel, I never finished it, so it doesn't really count. I started a novel when I was living in Paris called um, Baguettes and Brothels, which, which at the time I thought would be a sort of, um, I don't know, like, like a pastiche of down and out in Paris and London. Um, but anyway, so I started, that was my first foray into, into writing really um, when I was 17, 18. Uh, and then when I was, I can't remember how old I was. I had, I had young kids, so it would have been 2007, 2008. I started writing this, this rom-com and it came about because I had a very successful blog I was writing a parent blog and nowadays like the whole world and your grandmother have blogs but they really didn't in 2008 um and so there were a 
there was a kind of a fairly small band of parent bloggers and we all knew each other and we went to press events and um and you could get quite a lot of of, uh, of an audience for for your blog so i um i was blogging quite a lot lots of funny stories and um got quite a following and i mentioned on my blog that i was writing a novel and i'd actually only written about three chapters and they um were largely based on on my blog anyway one of my readers knew a literary agent and um forwarded it to this agent who said oh, i really like this um show me what you've got anyway long story short i did end up with an agent i didn't sign with that agent um but for about a year worked with them and uh i they were great people and uh, i'm very grateful to them for for the help that i had so we worked on this novel together over the course of uh, i don't know a few months and i would write something and, and send it in and they'd give me some feedback and then they gave me probably the best advice that i've ever had in my life so we had some sort of tentative interest from a publisher a, a, a a decent publisher you know a fairly large publisher and um and i was really excited because this felt like everything i'd i'd wanted um and the agent said i don't think you should pursue this um i don't think this is the best book you're ever going to write and this will always be your debut whatever happens now this is the you know the stick in the sand um this is what you'll be judged against do you want this to be your defining novel and and i didn't because it you know it was funny but it didn't have much of a story really it had very thin characters it might have sold you know a few thousand copies in in the first six weeks and then it would have disappeared you wouldn't have found it in shops it you know it it, it wouldn't have given me anywhere near the the career and the stability that that i have um, and more than that it it just wasn't something i was hugely proud of and so i followed their advice and said uh, okay we'll we'll ditch it so i i put it in a, a metaphorical bottom drawer and there it stays um, and then i wrote i let you go which turned out to be a much better decision <laughs> How long after um, putting it in the drawer between that moment and then getting the deal for I Let You Go? How much time passed? Oh, good question. I reckon about 18 months, maybe, maybe less, maybe a year. Um, I started writing I Let You Go on the train on the way home from that meeting with the literary agent because I knew a lot of that story. I didn't, I didn't know all of it, but I, I certainly knew the twist and I knew the premise. So I started writing it and um, when I'd finished the first draft, because I hadn't signed with this agent and so we didn't really have a working relationship. Um, and when I'd finished that first draft, um, I, was, uh, I, I was introduced to the person who is now my agent. It's a very long, complicated story, but the bottom line is I signed with somebody with I Let You Go. I signed with Curtis Brown um, and we worked on 
the um, manuscript for two or three months, I think, maybe a little bit longer before it went on submission. Um, so I signed with my agent in the December, so December 2012. And June 2013, which was about three weeks before I was due to go back to the police after my career break, I signed a two book deal with uh, Little Brown. So all, all in all good timing, but it, it must have been very tempting. It must have been very hard to put Hot Property in the drawer, you know, the dream of everyone to become a published writer. Do you know what? It wasn't hard actually, because it's a little bit like if you've ever, if you've ever broken up with someone um, and actually known that, that it's the right thing to do. And so it, it kind of hurts whether you're the person breaking up or the one being dumped it hurts a bit and it's a bit of an ego knock and it's a bit emotional, but ultimately you know it's the right decision. And then a few you know, hours or days or weeks later, you get this tremendous light feeling because you're not having to pretend or fight or you know, you're not carrying around that, that slight doubt that this isn't where you should be. So no, that was fine. And it stood me in good stead really, because I have thrown away so many books now and, and it, stopped, it stopped hurting completely. So I, I threw away my difficult second novel after I Let You Go. I wrote um, a, a, a psychological thriller uh, called Do No Harm. Um, and on the third draft, so I'd worked on it for nine months on the third draft um, my editor said how do you feel about this and I said well you know it's yeah, it's okay you know it's getting there I said my my only concern is that I don't know if it's as strong as I let you go and what I was really looking for there it, it's a bit like when you try on a dress and say how do I look and you really want people to say yeah it looks great I wanted her to reassure me and she just said yeah I don't think it is either um, and I went, oh shit, what do we do then? And she said, well, either we carry on working on it and, you know, I've got some ideas and she was very, very enthusiastic. And um, she said, or, or we ditch it um, and start something else. And by then I already had the idea for my third book, which was um, I See You, which had a really strong concept, this, this concept of, um, of people being creatures of habit that we do the same thing day in day out because it's reassuring but if you are that predictable then uh, obviously that puts you open uh, puts you at risk of um, uh, people that would do you harm so it was a much stronger concept I knew how the story would unfold and so I just ditched that book and started another one the next day which was completely the right decision and uh, made made the process of, of publishing a second book much less stressful because I was confident that we had a you know a good product so I've since done that another two times um, although not getting to the third draft stage I'm much better now at trusting my instincts and um, so I, I you know I've, I've got two one completely finished novel and two half finished novels one of which I might come back to um but i just can't quite make it work at the moment and i'm not sure why and so rather than spend the best part of a year 
thrashing around with it. I'd rather just put it to one side and come back when I've got a clearer idea of what it's going to look like. Seems like a, a sensible idea. What's your sixth book? My sixth book is Before I Go to Sleep by um, Esther Watson, uh, which I think is probably my favourite twist ever. And um, I, love, uh, I love remembering where I was when I read books. And I was talking on Twitter about this because some lovely people were talking about where they were when they came to the twist in I Let You Go. And so I, I remember exactly where I was, you know, I was in bed reading um, before I go to sleep when I hit uh, his brilliant, brilliant twist. And it was, it's just so well constructed, that novel. And I wasn't, um, I hadn't written my, had I written my book or had, I, I can't remember the timings of it, um, but it was somewhere sort of in the middle of um, me writing or, or editing, I Let You Go, something like that. And, um, and it gave me phenomenal confidence that my book might work because I was very nervous about whether I could pull off, you know, a, a twist like this. Um, and I think it revolutionized the psychological thriller market. Um, obviously, Girl on the Train and Gone Girl and, and um, uh, a few other books around that period. Um, but before I go to sleep, I just think um, sparked a, a real a real fervor for those sorts of books. And it's because of that fervor that my books have been able to find so many readers. And, and so I think those of us that have come after S.J. Watson and that cohort owe them a, you know, a, a debt um, for paving the way so that readers had more of an appetite for, for our books. I remember uh, when it first came out and it was absolutely massive at the time. I think um, people don't necessarily remember it as being the first. I think a lot of people talk about Girl on the Train as, as sort of revolutionising that genre, but Before I Go to Sleep was definitely um, one of the first big ones. I think that and, and like you say, Gone Girl. Um, SK has only written and one other novel and since then. Um, and you yourself are sort of publishing one every two years or so. Um, most uh, publishers that I, I know like their, their authors to be one a year um, to capture the, the, and keep hold of the market that they create. Do you feel a pressure for that or... Um, do you find that actually just writing at your own speed is better regardless of what your publisher wants? Well, no, I mean, I'm very lucky that the first thing that happened actually after I Let You Go became a success was that my editor took my deadlines away. And it was quite a deliberate conversation, you know, with her saying, right, just so you know, forget what we said, about the, the deadlines, you know, you've now got all this travel, you've got all these events to do, all this press, ignore the deadlines, the, the book will be ready whenever it's ready. And so she has always kept the pressure off me. I do feel pressure, but weirdly it's from 
other authors who are publishing you know one a year so i'll i'll see um an author who perhaps is getting ready to to publish their seventh book who whose first book came out after my first book and, and i think oh god i'm you know i'm being left behind which is ridiculous because it's you know that we're not racing there there are um there are lots of books there are lots of readers so occasionally i feel that that slight kind of pressure um and readers obviously would like more books more frequently um but i'm also not i'm not writing slowly that's the the difficult thing i do i edit a lot um you know i write a first draft in three months um but then i do another draft which is another two or three months and then i'll do another draft um and it takes me uh, it probably takes me a, about a year, but we often spread it out. Um, so I, I will go to copy edit on the book that I'm writing now in May or June. What are we now? May. I'll, I'll go to copy edits at the end of June. Um, and so the book will be ready probably by the end of the summer, but it won't come out until next summer. So it's not that I'm not writing or that I'm spending days sort of wandering around in meadows waiting for inspiration or you know writing really slowly i i think i'm probably writing to a similar schedule to a lot of other authors but my publishers choose to spread out my books a little bit further and i could not tell you why if i'm completely honest um there are you know strategies in sales and marketing and editorial that I don't pretend to understand. I think as well um, that it, it makes it a little bit special when there's a writer that you like and they don't bring out a book every year. Uh, when they do, when there is that new one, it just makes the anticipation and, and the excitement of reading that a, a bit more special, I find. Yeah, there, there is that. And, and also there's a, I suppose you, you don't want to eat your own tail. You know, if, if you've got a book that is still selling and still selling consistently you know that that graph has has flattened out and and it's just selling then why would you bring out another book and have people not really know which book to to buy so i suppose when i say i don't understand i do understand a little bit but it's you know i'm just the writer i just write them <laughs> what's your final choice my final choice is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, which is similar to Rebecca, I suppose, in that it both influenced me and also holds a place as a favourite book. So I, I spoke earlier about how um, books that changed my life aren't necessarily favourite books and vice versa. You know, there's, there's some crossover. Life After Life is one of my top five books I'd say. Um, I think it is incredibly well constructed, it's beautifully written. I already knew um, long before I read Life After Life that I wanted to write after the end with a sliding door narrative. So I wanted a dual um, a dual narrative in, in this book so that readers could follow two different possible futures and so when I read Life After Life 
which of course is has a similar structure in that it's repeating um, a life and showing the the different ways that life can pan out um, it was quite exciting i suppose because it, it showed me that this was something that could be done that that readers would enjoy um, but it was also just an in, an incredible book I, I think a lot about these sliding door moments i'm i'm quite obsessed with them um, about the the points in my life where i had to make a choice or a choice was made for me um, we you know we all have them throughout our whole lives the the kind of well if i hadn't have gone to that party i wouldn't have met that person and if i hadn't have met that person this wouldn't have happened and um and i love i used to love those choose your own adventure books as a kid and i would always um i'm sure i'm not alone in this i'd always put my my fingers in the crossroads bit so that i could flick through the rest of the book and find out where each path would take me and so i'd end up with fingers stuffed in all the pages so that I could work out the best path. Um, and Life After Life is, is a little bit like that. Um, and I read it in um, Madeira on my first ever holiday without the children. So my husband and I went on holiday for um, a whole week without the children and it was incredibly exciting and uh, I ate and drank and swam and read and it was just glorious and I was reading um, Life After Life on my Kindle um, and I dropped it in the pool and it wasn't a waterproof Kindle um, anyway I was so distressed that I went back to not I wasn't distressed about the Kindle which I actually didn't like very much anyway um, but I was so distressed that I couldn't finish this book that I remember trying to work out so I went on Google and tried to work out if there were any um, English language bookshops in the town where we work you know was there some feasible way that I could maybe get uh, Amazon to deliver a copy the next day I had to finish this book and in the end, I read the rest of the book on the Kindle app on my phone, um, which was not an enjoyable process, but I had to finish it. Uh, and so the next, the next day was, was spent peering at my tiny screen. Nobody else around the pool had a copy then? No, no, I, I don't know why actually, because it was, it was one of those books that everyone read. I think possibly because I was reading it in, um, at the time when the hardback came out. So maybe if it had been the following year, it would have been paperbacks galore. I love seeing what books uh, around pools on holiday. It's one of my favourite bits of a holiday. The format, like you say, of Life After Life is, is quite different to other books. And um, obviously you yourself in After the End have gone down a, a sliding doors type format. Are there any other tricky, complicated things that you might like to try in a future book? Oh, that is a good question. Um, yes, there's a book that I want to write that um, goes backwards. Um, I know that uh, Julie Cohen has done um, that with her book together. So she starts the story at the end and goes backwards. Um, so yeah i'd like to there's a particular story that i want to tell um that centers on um the way we judge people 
for being a particular way and what I'd like to do is is to be able to set that judgment in the present day and then to be able to undo it by by working backwards um so yeah structure is really important to me and it's almost always the thing that i think of first um it, the shape of a novel what's it going to you know hang on what's the skeleton of it um so i'm always playing around with could i do this and could i do that and, and trying to make each novel that i write hang around a different sort of structure so that it's not predictable um so yeah lots lots of things to try just not enough time to write them so you've picked seven great choices i think if i was to say which one was the most influential on you which would you choose wow I am going to say Lovely Bones for pulling me out of a really difficult place. And what are you working on now? Obviously, after the end has just come out in paperback, but what's what's the next book? So the next book for me is the book with no name, um, which is haunting me. I find titles so, so difficult. Uh, so this is a locked room thriller. It's set on the inaugural non-stop 20 hour flight from London to Sydney. Um, and uh, and it's, really, it's really exciting. I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm coming to the end now of my edits, um, but I'm enjoying the restrictions of being stuck in an aeroplane you know there's nowhere you can go uh, and there's nowhere the passengers can go the characters can go but there's there aren't that many places that the writer can go either and so needing to write a fast-paced story within those confines is a real challenge and uh, and yeah i'm really enjoying it so that won't be out till next next year it sounds uh but really interesting and I can't wait to to get a copy and, and, and have a read of it. Um, thank you for joining us um, and uh, good luck with After the End uh, published today uh, when this podcast goes out. Exciting, thank you so much for having me, it's great to talk to you. My guest this week was Claire McIntosh and all of the books we discussed are available to order on birtsbooks.co.uk. After the End by Claire is available now in paperback. Join me next time on Shelf Life, where another guest will be choosing the seven books that changed their life.